Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's July 27, 1956, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Frank and Aldo Bernie's grandfather Francesco had run a circus in Paris, but during the Franco-Prussian War, the circus animals were all eaten by starving Parisians. So instead, the Bernie family shifted their focus to the somewhat safer world of hospitality, opening cafes first in Wales and then in the West Country. Serving circus animals. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how, on this day, the brothers came to open a restaurant inside the historic Rummer Inn in Bristol, Britain's first Bernie Inn. For listeners who are too young to have ever been to a Bernie Inn or are from a country sadly that means they are unexposed to the bernie phenomenon it was a chain of family restaurants but also marketed as a place you could take a date that was very big in the 70s and 80s in the uk became the biggest chain in the country and was famous for maroon plush bonquettes bare varnish tables and barrels of sherry behind the bar from which you could buy a schooner as an aperitif And it is astonishing how the Bernie clan were regularly scuppered in their entrepreneurialism over the years that lead us to this moment. So as Rebecca said, the grandfather, Francesco Bernie, was undone by the Franco-Prussian War. And then the first hospitality business that the Bernies opened when they got to the UK was in South Wales, where they set up these temperance bars, which didn't serve alcohol, but instead had ice cream and sweets and cakes and tea and so on. But that then (laughs) spluttered to a halt during World War One because it was really hard to get milk and sugar and you could no longer make cakes and ice cream and so temperance bars went down and then along came Frank and Aldo who started Bernie Inn. But first they had a bunch of cafes that were dotted around the southwest of the country but they too were then undone when World War II came along and Frank, one of the two brothers, was interned as an enemy alien so the business had to be carried on by his brother Aldo in his absence. Yeah, if there's anything that the Bernie brothers had learned it was wait till the world altering events are over before you launch an (laughs) expedition. business. The first Bernie Inn opened just two years after rationing ended in Britain. Rationing didn't end in Britain until 1954. That was when the last restrictions, which were on meat, which would go on to be the staple of the Bernie Inns, was that you would go there and you'd have steak. But if you went to this first one, what was on the menu was precisely one thing. Steak, chips, peas, a roll and butter, plus pudding or cheese, a fixed price of seven shillings and sixpence. So an incredibly good deal, but not what you would call a wide variety of choice. But putting it in the context that previously eating out in a restaurant was inaccessible to most Brits. You know, the closest you would probably get as an average person would be a sad sandwich in a dowdy tea room or a bland station cafe. Pubs were for adults only. There was no such thing as an affordable place you could take your whole family. And yeah, you might think we're over-egging the historical context here. But actually, against that litany of failure that Arian reeled off, uh, their luck had turned Mm. uh, as a result of the Second World War in a way, because there were bombings in Bristol and Plymouth and Exeter, which were all the places that they'd had cafes. 
And so they actually received reparation money that they could invest in this new business in Bristol. They bought a famous restaurant in Bristol called Hort's, which had three floors specialising in steak and oysters. So that's where they saw the public appetite for meat. And when they then went for their next acquisition, which was the Rummer Inn, they thought they would match together that hunger that they'd seen from the public for something slightly more sophisticated, and I know it seems silly to call it that now, with what they'd learnt about the American model of rolling out chain restaurants and keeping the prices low. And how could they keep those prices so low? Because you didn't have to be a chef to cook in the kitchen. They devised a menu where all you had to use was a grill and a deep fat fryer. Yeah, in 1947, Frank Burney had gone to the United States on a fact-finding mission, and he really was impressed with how American diners worked, in particular in how they kept their costs low, even though he didn't much like the American food. Where's the gammon and pineapple, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Cheesecake, call this a pudding. (laughs) But he liked the idea of a certain degree of fanciness, not overly fancy, but a nice experience in conjunction with a good deal of food, not not excessive, but the right amount for a low price that was accessible to a broad market. So really, he was bringing back all of these ideas from the States. Yeah, and Frank ultimately created this massive manual that was called the Bible within the chain, but it went out to all of the franchises around the country. And it just meant that the process was completely standardised from one Bernie into the next. The steaks came pre-cut, which was new at the time. Most of the time, the with the pre-packaged... Sorry. And by doing it with pre-packaged steaks, it meant that no meat was wasted. So it was all being kept to these very tight overheads in a way that hadn't been done before. And meanwhile, Aldo took really, he he wasn't, sorry, because really what they had to sell wasn't just come to our restaurant. It was really selling the whole concept of dining. Yes, it's so evident if you look back at their marketing now, because there's some absolutely fabulous like Bernie in TV campaigns that you can watch back on YouTube. The one from the 1980s. I mean, it's literally, it's like a French and Saunders parody of an advert (laughs) for, for a chain of uh, steak restaurants the the setup is uh, that uh, whilst the man is painting the house his wife has messed up the bolognese so he takes her to a Bernie Inn Um, but anyway um, if you look at that marketing making eating out a pleasure was one of their slogans Mm. into the 1980s (laughs) making eating out a pleasure and I thought that's so interesting because the implication there is that eating out is a chore a frightening thing to a certain section of the market like something to be endured something you do on dates but not something you really like (laughs) and from that point of view if you look at their blueprint which is basically let's convert old pubs not into gastro pubs as we'd get into the 90s but something far less threatening and accessible inns you know it's like one step between the two isn't it let's just put steak and chips and bland things that are tasty but you like and aren't frightened by at a reasonable price in an environment you're comfortable in is really clever. They'd obviously identified people were daunted by going out. Also, Aldo's flair for PR meant that he'd come up with these openings that occurred with a great deal of fanfare. So (laughs) to celebrate each new restaurant opening, the brothers would arrive at the railway station where they'd be greeted by an enthusiastic crowd and then follow them on foot to the new Bernie Inn while the Bernies were seated on top of a flat-top truck with an accompanying jazz band. And then they'd all, including the Bernies, queue to get a table. So you had this instant impression of enormous demand because people were queuing up to get inside and that menu was prawn cocktail to start yeah. steak and chips for mains black forest gato or cheese a single cheese from the cheese trolley to follow as they put in their menu always to follow with a glass of sherry 
<laughs> like, it seems obvious now that that does feel like sort of classic, accessible British cuisine, but I'm not sure it was obvious at the time. It's Argentinian steak. It's European sherry, isn't it? Black Forest Gateau must have seemed exotic. Mm. And prawns weren't something that people necessarily had in their homes unless they lived by the sea. And just another indicator of how the menu was tailored to be comfortable to the, let's be honest, bland at the time, maybe less so now, British palate, the 1970 menu contains three options for mains, rump steak, roast chicken, or fried place fillets, all served with, this just blew my mind, fries, tomato, presumably a grilled tomato, mm-hmm. and, and nothing else. Just mm. one solitary tomato, <laughs> no veg at all. You could have salad. You, by 1984, you could have salad for additional price. Or fruit juice as a starter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fruit juice as a starter. Yeah. That's another thing that I remember like, seeing on menus yes. maybe when I was a really young kid was a chilled glass of fruit juice yeah. <laughs> as a starter. Like, such was the novelty of having access to fruit in a pulped form, I guess. But yeah. it, it has to be said, the menu did evolve somewhat. By the 80s, you can see that the Bernie Inn has been doing its work and that diner expectations have evolved because from the mid-80s, you know, you've still got the core of the menu is still grilled meat, fish, soup, salad, ice cream. But yeah. you've got more exotic flourishes you've got pate you've got taramasalata whoa i know who'd have thought taramasalata would be the gateway drug to mediterranean (laughs) cuisine and not hummus yeah like hummus has become the nation's lubricant and yet there they were in 1984 (laughs) with taramasalata as the offer and at the height of its popularity in the 1970s birdie inn was operating in 147 restaurants and hotels including some in japan it was actually the largest restaurant chain in the world outside of the u.s and had taken over some famous English pubs as well, including mm. the New Inn at Gloucester and the Mitre at Oxford. One thing that I like is that when the chain finally sold to Whitbread in 1995 and the inns got rebranded as Beefeater pubs, they kept the prawn cocktail as a sort of harking back to the thing that came before. And to this day, if you look at a Beefeater pub's menu, you can get <laughs> a prawn cocktail to start. Well, they're lovely. You know, this is the thing is that a lot of the things that were associated with Bernie Inns did fall out of favour. You know, by the rise of the mid 80s, you had competing restaurant chains and tastes had evolved and Bernie Inns had just been around a long time and they started to be seen as basically where the Dursleys would go for a birthday, you know, middle class, (laughs) suburban, unimaginative naff. I think that's so true. And these days, the return is to a kind of cuisine that is simple. You know, it's letting ingredients speak for themselves, a simple steak done well, only a few things on the menu not overcomplicating things done with a particular sort of heat specifically you know now it's all fashionable fire restaurants but i think that that idea of simplicity will keep coming back culinarily as a fashionable thing you could probably also bring back temperance bars these days with people like turning away from alcohol we're going to do the bernie family's career in reverse we're going to end up by opening a live action circus in paris (laughs) (laughs) tomorrow I can't believe that really accounts for old man's ears that are like six inches longer and covered in hair. But apparently... Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.